0: Um, Thanks for that nice introduction as well. Good morning, Mosaic. Today, I'm honored to fill in for Pastor Tony. He gets a little break. As Chris mentioned, my name's Jeff Wright. My wife, Stacy, and I have been married for 38 years. We have two wonderful daughters and a son-in-law. We're blessed to have the opportunity to worship here at Mosaic for the last several years. I'd like to take a few minutes just to share with you how Stacy and I first learned about Mosaic and Pastor Tony. We were prayerfully considering planting the ministry that Chris just mentioned, Matthew 25 Outreach Center, here in the greater Mansfield area. For those of you that are not familiar with Matthew 25 Outreach Center, with the help of hundreds of volunteers, we have the privilege of providing food to the hungry people across Richland, Ashland, and Wayne counties. Each year, we distribute more than 1.2 million pounds of food to those in need. Most notably, these distributions of food provide us with the opportunity to connect and to build relationships with more than 6,000 struggling people every month. People just like you and me. Broken. Hurting just wanting to be loved. The ministry process began about seven years ago. And during our initial three-year journey, we were prayerfully and extremely patiently considering how to begin the ministry, how should we operate the ministry, where should the ministry be based, which partners might serve alongside us, how do we best reach those that are in need? How do we share God's message with the broken people that we will encounter? How do we make God's love real and tangible? Along with a long list of many other questions and concerns we hadn't even considered. So for many months, Stacy and I prayed passionately and we drove and walked the streets of Mansfield. We were simply trying to understand what God had in mind for the ministry, where we were wondering how he wanted to use us, and gradually we felt God nudging us to serve the neighborhoods adjacent to this church building, streets right around this area. So we began praying for God to lead us and asking God to show us the way, pleading with him to show us every step in this new ministry. So during many of our initial prayer walks, we encountered dozens of people. These people were passionate and open and shared their concerns, their wants, and their needs with us. However, numerous times, many of these people said, you know, you look kind of familiar. And they went on to ask, haven't we seen you Seen you walking our streets before? Then people asked me, are you the pastor at Mosaic Church? And I laughed. I said, no, no, no I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. And I informed our friends that we had just met that I was not this person, but he did sound like the kind of person that I would like to meet. Needless to say, I and Stacy were very excited to hear that there was another person that had a true heart for God's people, willing to walk the streets in these neighborhoods, someone that was willing to go out and meet God's people, to pray with them and for them, to offer assistance and love to them, to meet them where they were, not simply wait for broken people to come to him. That's when Stacy and I first learned about Pastor Tony and this church. It wasn't long afterwards, and Tony and I finally met. You know, it amazes me how God just weaves his people together. We can't plan this kind of stuff. There's thousands of people living in the greater Mansfield area, and God connects the two of us together. All for his good. So when we finally met, Tony and I shared our hearts for God's people, and we quickly realized that there was a mutual connection. Both of us were willing to look past people for who they are and instead we chose to see people for who they could become. We both had a strong desire to share God's love with broken people, not just to say the words, God loves you, but to truly put our faith into action and make God's love tangible through acts of service. Through many more conversations, we got to know each other better. As Pastor Tony, Pastor Brad, and Alex all took time out of their already busy schedules to help Stacy and I clearly define the ministry of Matthew 25 Outreach Center. Through these numerous interactions, Stacy and I came to realize that Mosaic consisted of a people after the heart of God. This was a place a faithful circle of believers that we wanted to get to know better. Today, many of you have become our friends. Some of you are members of our prayer circles. Some of you are members of our small group. We serve alongside some of you during Mosaic community meals, and some of you have become an integral part of volunteering with Matthew 25 Outreach Center. You are a true testament to the heart of Mosaic, putting your faith into action while demonstrating love in action. Stacy and I are both honored to call you our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, fast forward. About 10 days ago, Pastor Tony gave me a call to say that he was going to be out of town on October 25th today. He asked if I might be willing to fill in for him. Remember the chuckle earlier when I said, are you the pastor at Mosaic? Well, that chuckle surfaced again. He asked if I wanted to take some time to think about it and to pray about it. I quickly informed him, you do realize that I have no theological training. I've never attended seminary, and I'm not a pastor. I know that I'm not qualified to be standing here speaking to you today. But I also know that when we're called to serve, each of us must be ready. Our strength, our skills, and our wisdom, they don't matter. Rather, what does matter is that the Lord who does the work through us, he doesn't seek out the most qualified person But instead he calls ordinary men and women like you and me who are willing to surrender themselves to him. And when his strength works through our weakness it becomes obvious that only God could have achieved the result. And so it is. With God's help I will do my best today. So following my commitment to deliver today's message I began to pray asking God to lead me to instruct me with the words he wanted me to share with you I prayed I read scripture I studied scripture and I conducted endless research this was followed by cobbling together multiple drafts of this message then some 30 hours later the final draft of the sermon message was finally constructed I share this background with you so you can catch a small glimpse of what Pastor Tony, Chris, Aaron, Matt, Chuck, Alex, and the entire Mosaic crew go through just to bring us a meaningful worship service each and every week. I have a new appreciation for the tremendous amount of time and effort it takes our pastoral team to share God's Word with us. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for caring for your flock and for your heart to share God's Word with us each and every week. So before we begin to look at today's message, I'd like to open with prayer, please. Please join me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. May you bless the words we are about to hear and help us to be attentive and willing servants in your holy and powerful name. Amen. So for the past several weeks, Tony's been preaching to us out of 1 Peter. And I love my Bible, this NIV version. It has lots of notes in here and things that I can refer to. So the introduction to 1 Peter is a great summary of a lot of what we've heard. So I wanted to share the uh, the the introduction with you it starts by crushed overwhelmed devastated torn these feelings wash over those who suffer blinding all vision of hope and threatening to destroy them suffering has many forms physical abuse debilitating disease and social ostracism persecution The pain and anguish tempt a person to turn back to surrender, to give in. Many first-century followers of Christ were suffering and being abused and persecuted for believing in and obeying Jesus. Beginning in Jerusalem, at the hands of their Jewish brothers, the pattern of persecution spread to the rest of the world. Wherever Christians gathered and climaxed, when Rome determined to rid the empire of those who would not bow to Caesar, known as the Christ Ones. Peter knew persecution firsthand. He was beaten and jailed. Peter had been threatened often. He had seen fellow Christians die and the church scattered, but he knew Christ. And nothing could shake his confidence in the risen Lord. In this personal context, Peter wrote to the church, scattered and suffering for the faith, giving comfort and hope, and urging continued loyalty to Christ. Peter begins by thanking God for salvation. He explains to his readers that trials will refine their faith. They should believe in spite of their circumstances. For many in past ages believed in God's plan of salvation, even the prophets of old who wrote about it but didn't understand it. But now the salvation has been revealed in Christ. In response to such a great salvation, Peter commands them to live holy lives, to fear and trust God, to be honest and loving, to become Christ-like. Jesus Christ as a chosen and precious cornerstone above whom the church is to be built is also the stone that was rejected, causing those who are disobedient to stumble and fall. But the church built upon this stone is to be God's holy priesthood. Next, Peter explains how believers should live during difficult times. Christians should be above reproach, imitating Christ in all their social roles, masters and servants, husbands and wives, church members and neighbors. Christ should be our model for obedience to God in the midst of great suffering. Peter then outlines the right attitude to have about persecution. He says, expect it. Be thankful for the privilege of suffering for Christ, and trust God for deliverance. Next, Peter gives some special instructions. Elders should care for God's flock. Younger men should be submissive to those who are older. And everyone should trust God and resist Satan. Peter concludes by introducing Silas and by giving personal greetings from himself, possibly from the church in Rome and from Mark. When you suffer for doing what is right, remember that following Christ is a costly commitment. When persecuted for your faith, rejoice that you have been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. He suffered for us. As his followers, we should expect nothing less. So for the past few months Pastor Tony preached on this 1st Peter that I summarized. Most recently he has focused on 1st Peter chapter 4. For Stacy and I, we believe the Holy Spirit is using Pastor Tony to share God's word with us. That's pretty clear. We believe he's gifted, willing, and passionate. A teacher that's willing to instruct his flock, us. Quite often, these messages come to me at a rapid fire pace, and I have a difficult time processing the messages in such a short period of time. So I've learned throughout worship service that it's best for me to take my journal and take lots of notes, and lots of notes quickly. This allows me to reflect on these messages throughout the entire week. My notes help me to discern what God is trying to teach me. During my devotion time each morning, I often refer back to my notes. I found this helps me digest God's Word. I can let it sink in, and I can take little bite-sized pieces throughout the week. This process helps me understand how God wants me to apply these life lessons in my own personal life. As I reflect on each Sunday's message, I often find myself referring back to the notes from a week, two weeks, a month, or even several months prior. Quite often, this leads me to have one of those aha moments. You know what I mean? It's one of those times when you don't quite get the message when you first hear it, but a week or two go by, And new messages are added to the journal. And as I reflect on those messages each day and each week, the story finally comes together. It's kind of like putting together a puzzle. First, you lay out all the pieces, right? You spread everything out on the table. Then you sort all the pieces out. You've got all those with straight edges in a pile. And then all those in certain colors in another area. And then you've got some that might have some certain shapes and scenes that might fit in another pile. So, you've got them all sorted out categorically, and then you start to assemble the border, and your puzzle starts to take some shape. Then you begin to insert the additional puzzle pieces, and suddenly the puzzle takes shape, and you can say, Aha, now I see the picture more clearly. So, with this image in mind, I reviewed my journal notes from the last few weeks, and I want to take some time to summarize some of the key points from the lessons that we heard from Pastor Tony. And as I do this, I'm hopeful that some puzzle pieces may fall into place for you too. Number one, we're called to live and love like Jesus. No matter what the circumstances may entail, may this be what we are most eager to do as we bring glory to the Father. Number two, We're called to grow in love of God and others, to be mindful as Christ himself. Our manner of thinking and feeling should align with Jesus. Number three, we're called to live for God. Jesus suffered, and we are called to have that same attitude. Number four, if we focus on Jesus and what he wants us to do, then sin will lose its power in defeating us in our suffering. Number five, if we suffer for doing good and still faithfully obey God in spite of our suffering, then we have made a clean break from sin. Six, we must live for the will of God and our vision will be renewed. We must love God and love others. Seven, we should not live in the past, no more reckless living. Instead, we should live for God under his rule and having the mindset of Jesus. Eight. Even though we live in this world, we are not of this world. We have the opportunity to bring God's light and love to all those we encounter in this sin-filled world. Nine. Nine. We are called to use whatever gift we have received from the Holy Spirit to serve others, to serve with love and kindness and mercy and grace. Number ten, no matter how shameful your past might be, God can forgive you and He can use you for His service. Number eleven, when we lead lives that are righteous, We will be asked why we believe what we do. And when this happens, we each need to be ready to give our answer. Number 12, rejoice that we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Whenever we suffer because of our loyalty to Jesus Christ, He will be with us. 13, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in that name let him glorify God. Number 14. Commit yourselves to God and continue to do good. Finally, sorry, fully trust your life to God. Trust him and continue to do what he has called you to do, looking to the needs of others. And number 15. From 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. I thank Christ our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me to be faithful and trustworthy, and he has appointed me to his service. Wow. What a tremendous responsibility and an amazing opportunity. So I just summarized 15 key points that Pastor Tony shared with us over the last several weeks. These godly reminders were intended to guide us in our everyday lives. And now, as we prepare to discuss 1 Peter chapter 5, let me pray before we begin, please. Lord, help us to fix our eyes and our hearts on you, and not on the hardships and obstacles in our lives or of this world. Help us to focus on you as we break break open your word. Amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, it's entitled, Shepherding God's People in the Midst of Suffering. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over to those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is going through the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory of Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong Firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen with the help of silas whom i regard as a faithful brother i have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of god stand fast in it she who is in babylon chosen together with you sends you her greetings and so does my son mark Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter Peter's telling us that the church clearly needs Christ like shepherds to take the lead. He's giving instructions as to what type of shepherd is needed to lead God's people and his church. In addition, he's providing the shepherds with words of encouragement. It can get pretty discouraging after what we just heard. So here's Peter in verse 1 saying, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So I had to stop and look up what's it really mean to be an elder? An elder is a person who is valued for their great wisdom, someone that holds a position of responsibility. Quite often, an elder might also be identified as a shepherd or even a pastor. So it's interesting, though. Here's Peter. He's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. Obviously, a man of great authority, yet he doesn't flaunt his authority. Instead, He quite simply identifies himself just as a fellow elder. Talk about being humble. So Peter sets the tone for the final chapter of his letter with this amazing act of humility. So in the second part of verse 1, Peter goes on to say that he is a witness of Christ's sufferings And will share in the glory to be revealed. Now, not only did Peter actually witness the death and resurrection of Jesus, but Peter is also indicating that he bears witness to the sufferings of Jesus. He's reminding us that suffering comes first, then glory will follow. Verse 2 goes on to read Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So a shepherd or an elder, someone charged with the responsibility of watching over their flock, in our case, this flock means a group of people just like us, an elder or overseer or shepherd or a pastor, All of these terms refer to someone that is called to look after its flock, to protect its flock, watch over its flock, and keep it from danger, to rescue the flock if necessary, to provide direction for the flock, to be a good example for the flock, and to lead the flock through difficult conditions. If you are a parent, then you understand what I'm talking about. You are ultimately responsible for the care and well-being of your children, and you know that that's a monumental responsibility. Jesus gave these same instructions to Peter in John 21, verses 15 through 17, when he said, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Did you also note that Peter gave instructions to do this same thing when he said, Not because you must, but because you are willing? Now, this is really important. God wants the shepherds to be willing servants, not people that begrudgingly perform a service, not a person that performs a service just for monetary gain. He wants servants that are freely willing to serve him and to have a sincere heart to care for God's people. Pretty clear instruction. Peter goes on to provide some more instruction when he says, be eager to serve and be examples to the flock. Jesus came to, be, to serve, not to be served. Again, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He instructed his disciples to be servants as well. So it should be no surprise that Peter is providing instruction for the shepherds, the pastors, to be servants and to lead by example. They should serve because they want to, not because they have to. They should serve humbly and serve the people of God with a willing and loving heart. This humility and related acts of service are then observed by the flock. And guess what? They, we, we see the shepherd practicing what he preaches as he leads by example. In verse 4, Peter goes on to say, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, the chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. He's our ultimate shepherd. And all other shepherds must answer to him. If we refer back to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it states, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that will be of no advantage to you. Our shepherds, our church leaders, they keep watch over us. They guide us. They keep us safe. They instruct us. And they help us to grow in our faith. And they will be required to give an account of their flock. So we are asked to be obedient, to follow the instructions that we are provided, and to entrust our shepherd in his leading of us. Our shepherds have an important responsibility. So Peter gives them some much-needed hope when he says, You will receive the unfading crown of glory. This will be their reward. Then in verse 5, Peter tells us that we should submit ourselves to our elders and clothe ourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. As much as we may hate to admit it, none of us have all the answers. And we can all learn from each other. We each have unique gifts and talents, but sometimes we need to be reminded that all gifts and talents come from God. So we should always lean on God for our strength. Without Christ, we're nothing, and we can do nothing. This realization should lead us to greater humility, reminding us that our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. He humbled Himself time and time again, even to death on a cross. Finally, verses 6 and 7 tell us to humble ourselves, that He may lift us up in due time, and we should cast all, all of our anxiety on Him because He cares for us. Humility calls for us to put away our personal agendas. We should not be hoping to get special recognition for anything that we do. We simply need to follow, sorry, we simply need to allow our focus to be on God's agenda, not our agenda, where we have a mindset to love one another and to serve one another. This Christ like humility is essential to our relationship with God. And as we close, let's remember that our true humility deepens our trust in God. And our trust in God facilitates greater humility, which allows us to humbly and willingly cast all our cares upon Him. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray your blessing on this message, and I pray that each one of us breaks open your word every day to have the intimate, trusting relationship that you desire and to be fully yielded to you. May our lives be evidence of your great love, and may we bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. Amen.